0: It's Friday, April 30th, and we're talking three Fool favorites that just reported earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's two-time Treasure Trove trailer of tracking talked about tippy-top tech titans, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, I saw the fist pump when you <laughs> nailed that title. Way to go. Congrats. That was a tricky one. Felt like Tiger at the Masters. <laughs> that was a, that was an achievement in and of itself, Brian. Um, and, and the, I always love the tongue twisters you give me. That one was particularly tough because of all the hyphenations, but I made it through. I made it through. Um, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm glad you're showing your professionalism there. You, you've really come a long way, Dylan. <laughs> you know, I've just found with this, you got to let the people in. You got to give them a look behind the scenes because if not, what are we doing? You know, we're we're honest and we 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 uh, we keep scores for but I think we also show cracks and all when we're do- when we're doing everything we're doing.
1: You got it. <laughs> we are imperfect people for sure. And for this week's show, Dylan, we had a bazillion t- titans to to uh, to talk about. Potentially, we really had to limit down the list to just three that really wowed us.
0: I know. I mean, if this were an hour-long program or a two-hour-long program, Brian, I think we would have still had plenty to talk about. Uh, in, in fact, we had, we had a, an embarrassment of riches, really, when it came to earnings reports. Earnings season, always one of the most fun times for us because we talk about it all the time, but you really get – four updates throughout the year that gives you a sense of the direction of the business and whether the thesis that uh, you originally bought a company for is holding. and that's when you get the quarterly reports. Outside of that, largely market noise and that's why we pay so much attention to it. Um, and they tend to come
1: in blizzards. you know you tend to get a lot of them in the same week or two. And the especially fascinating thing about this earnings season, and I'd argue the next earnings season, is this is when we're lapping the COVID comps. Uh, for some companies, COVID was a massive tailwind. For others, a huge headwind. Largely for these tech companies, it was mostly a headwind, although many of their growth did slow. So, the year-over-year numbers that some of these companies are going to report, uh, really across the board, are going to be uh, quite amazing. So, the bar is set pretty high for a lot of these businesses.
0: Yeah, and that is the give and take of some of these special one-time events is it gives you something really incredible in some ways to report uh, if it's a tailwind for you uh for a couple quarters, but then you're gonna be lapping those results at some point, uh, and, and ultimately you're gonna have to live up to those numbers. And that was, Brian, really one of the big things we were talking about in the early part of 2021. I remember we did a show kind of looking out over the year and, and kind of thinking through What's on our radar thematically? What are we thinking about uh, investing in the tech space? and one of the big things we were, we were coming up against was how are companies going to do now that they are lapping you know these these massive step changes in their business where more and more stuff is being pushed digital? Uh, basically, what we've seen in the results from most of these businesses that we follow is uh, no real issues here. you know think th- things are just cruising along um, and they haven't had any trouble. Uh, keeping up with the comps that they've set for themselves.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into the numbers uh, specifically, but I mean, pick any big, big company. I mean, Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, three of which companies we are not talking about, but <laughs> all of them just produce stellar results. So the numbers that we've seen thus far this earnings season are impressive.
0: And we intentionally chose the three businesses that we're talking about today, uh, Facebook, Amazon, and Shopify, because we know they're full favorites. A lot of people following these businesses wanted to give their earnings some airtime because we imagine they are in a lot of people's portfolios. I, at one point, have owned all three of these stocks. I now own two of them. Uh, I, I sold out my my Facebook shares uh, in 2020. Brian, kind of hit my boiling point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, but <laughs> that has not proven to be a great financial decision, although it has helped me sleep a little bit better at night.
1: Fair enough, Dylan. Know thyself, and I will continue to own Facebook for the both of us. And you'd have plenty of good reasons to do so. I think if you look at
0: the business, everything is up and to the right. And for as massive as they are, and, and we're going to have a very similar conversation when we talk Amazon, um, they continue to find growth. And it it's kind of baffling to think at the scale that they're operating on, the size of the denominator that they're working on, they're still able to find growth in all of these different categories, all these different elements of their business.
1: Yeah, so let's dig into the numbers. So last quarter, Facebook reported that an 8% growth in its daily active users to 1.88 billion. Uh, Monthly active users grew 10%, so even faster to 2.85 billion. That's basically half a humanity and a majority of the people that have access to the internet are our Facebook uh, users. Uh, Facebook recently started reporting a new metric called daily active people, which gives a more nuanced look where they basically estimate how many people are, if, if, if m- multiple family members are using the same account uh, to give them an actual sense of how many eyeballs are on there. Uh, so that's called family daily active people. That grew 15% to 2.72 billion and family month- monthly active people, F- grew 15% to $3.45 billion. And that's just people. If you look at the number of businesses that are now on Facebook, that number now exceeds 200 million. This company's scale is unbelievable.
0: And, and I think it's good to highlight that businesses now on Facebook thing because we have to remind ourselves with a company like Facebook, they're the customers. Really, when it comes to making money, the more businesses that are on there, the more people that are buying ad spots, the better it is for Facebook as a business. The users are the monetizable activity, and you want to see that up and to the right as well. But such a huge part of Facebook's roadmap over the last, say, five to eight years has been getting businesses, particularly small businesses where hyper-targeted local advertising is really relevant and really important for them as part of their marketing strategy, onto the platform. And they've done a remarkable job of doing that.
1: They really have. And we'll talk some a little bit more later about uh, what's happened, what's been happening there because the company's making tremendous success there too. But uh, let's dive into the numbers a little bit. Uh, total revenue for this company grew 48% to 26.2 billion. For comparison, Wall Street would have accepted 23.7 billion. So this was a huge beat on the top line. Uh, the rest of the income state looked even better. Uh, gross margin ticked up to 80%. Expenses only grew 25% across the board. That was significantly lower than revenue growth. As a result, the company reported a 94% jump in net income to $9.5 billion, or $3.30 per share. Wall Street was looking for $2.37 per share. Pick a number. It looked great.
0: I love the way you broke that down, Brian, because it, it's a great run-through of the income statement, but also a really good way to explain the inputs and how different growth affects the flow of money as you go down the income statement. Right. So We had a big 48% figure on, on revenue. You see that gross margin and, and what ultimately flows down to net income expands because expenses didn't grow as quickly. That's really nice operating leverage for Facebook to be able to enjoy.
1: And that's a tricky concept to to grasp your head around operating leverage. And it's essentially when your costs are growing at a slower rate than your revenue. And as we saw here, Facebook's revenue grew 48%, but with operating leverage kicking in, net income grew 94%. That's why when we talk about gross margin and margins across the board, that's why they matter because they can drive operating leverage.
0: And it's stunning to think that a company that size can enjoy that type of bottom line year over year growth. It's 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 really remarkable uh, when a company of that size has that kind of cash on hand. It gives them a lot of flexibility and lets them do a lot in terms of capital allocation. Brian.
1: Yep, and even during the quarter, they returned some money to shareholders. Uh, they bought back four billion dollars worth of stock. Uh, this company is a you know based in Silicon Valley, so they dole out stock options like crazy. So the share count was actually up slightly year over year so their their buybacks are mostly going to offset dilution but uh, I think it's a good thing that they're using that capital when it comes to that top line beat it's important I think to point out just how they did that so management said that they saw a 30 percent year over year increase in the average price per ad and a 12 percent jump in the number of ads delivered remember that their average daily active users only grew eight percent so that means that the average user is seeing slightly more ads, but advertisers are willing to pay much more for those ad placements. That's how you combine that to 48% growth.
0: Yeah. and That's a particularly strong number and an important breakdown because it really speaks to the efficacy of the ads on the platform. And It's it's something that bodes well for them long-term, because to a certain extent, you only have so much ad inventory that you can lay into the platform. Otherwise, you're going to oversaturate people with ads and it's going to turn into a bad user experience. I think Facebook has very deliberately, over the last five or so years, thought about how much ad inventory they can really bring on into the newsfeed, into the homepage, so that it doesn't interfere too much with how people use the site. But if the prices keep climbing, even if they hit that point where they're not really able to put very many more ads in, they're still going to be able to enjoy growth simply on the user base they have. If they can add users as well, that's where you get two different levers working in your favor
1: yeah, that's almost like the dollar-based net retention rate that we in a similar way that we talk about for a lot of SaaS companies, is essentially how much more revenue are you getting uh, from your existing customer base? And it's hard to know how high that number can grow, but it has grown considerably. And if you talk to a lot of marketers, they do say that Facebook ads work, So there's no better sign of that being true than that number we just talked about.
0: Yeah, and I'll say you know just knowing the fool. I mean, that it's it's a major acquisition channel for us when we're, we're talking about bringing in members uh, to some of our services. So you know I, I get to talk to our marketers internally and and you know basically say like where are they coming from? And and more often than not, it's Facebook. You know, it's it's a very valuable place and the ROI is there, and that's why we see that price continue to
1: shoot up. And with 3.5 billion family monthly active people, it's likely that dollars will continue to flow there too. Now, on the call, uh, Zuckerberg uh, went into details on three big areas that he is um, really keen on that will think that will drive this company's next phase of growth. Uh, he called those out as augmented reality, uh, commerce, and business messaging. Uh, so on augmented reality side, it's very clear that Facebook is taking the AR and VR market Extremely seriously, and they are really a leader in the space right now with their Quest 2 product that just launched. Uh, Zuckerberg noted that it's growing uh, much faster uh, than expected, and they're continually investing in that platform. They're rolling out, their, they have plans to uh, neural interfaces. For interacting with AR, they've got a new avatar system that really lets their users to express themselves. They launched a new ecosystem that broadens their uh, the number of apps that are on there beyond games, and they're even talk about productivity and fitness apps. They noted that they launched um uh, XR to do boxing and dancing to do uh, VR on there, similar to like Peloton. So fa- Facebook and Zuckerberg are very serious about augmented reality.
0: Yeah. And this is something that's been playing out for a long time. You know, it's it's kind of easy in the grand scheme of everything that Facebook does to forget about the AR and VR ambitions and kind of forget about that Oculus acquisition that they made, uh, what feels like so many years ago, uh, just in the lifetime of this company. Um, and, you know, they spent a little over $2 billion to make that deal happen. I think a lot of people at the time were like, this is a hardware business. Like, what are you doing? like how, how can we justify this, especially when the sales weren't really there uh, to back up that kind of valuation? I think something like that only makes sense if you have a multi-year roadmap for working that in, and you really feel like it's going to be part of where you go long term. That's where two billion dollars feels like a steal for an acquisition instead of you know paying up for something that uh, you know honestly doesn't have the the financials to support it.
1: Yeah, that's that's that. I mean, I, I think of it as a low risk bet that Zuckerberg made, where he believes that the next computing technology is going to be AR and VR, and Facebook wants to be the company that is the hardware maker of them. Uh, If for no other reason that they're currently in a well big dispute with with Apple, and with Apple really pushing the privacy uh, functions of their next rollout of the iOS, uh, that is going to be a potential headwind for uh, Facebook. If Facebook can own or be the Apple of VR, they might not have to deal with that problem with the next launch. So you can't blame this company for not thinking long-term.
0: Yeah, and and really if you're thinking about the the migration of users and where they're consuming content, right? Like you go back 10 years, it, everything was desktop. You know, like mobile was this massive question mark for companies that were ad-based like Facebook and like Google. Um and there were a lot of concerns about mobile ad rates, the efficacy of online ads, whether advertisers would see the ROI That was a really big thing that Facebook had to overcome, and it's easy to forget that now that it's close to a trillion-dollar company, but that was a major question mark for this business. If you're thinking out maybe next year or the following year, you're not going to see a massive shift from people going from mobile to AR or VR, but if you're thinking 5, 10, 15 years, it's not crazy to think that we're going to start seeing more and more content consumption, more and more activity in those places.
1: Yeah, and there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. It's possible that no matter how great AR and VR technology uh, becomes, consumers just won't adopt it. But if they do, uh, as of right now, Facebook does look like the leader in that space and the one to catch up to. That will be something that's fascinating to watch. Now, on the rest of the call, Zuckerberg did note that they are making big-time investors into commerce. Uh, They did note that their marketplace business gets 1 billion visits each month, and their shops business has 1 million active shops and over 250 million shops. They noted that WhatsApp now allows businesses to upload their entire catalogs so that users can go in there and see what kind of uh, products they have in stock. They also have uh, over a uh, hundred million messages per day going back and forth between businesses and consumers. As a shareholder, I'm happy to see that because I have just completely mentally written off WhatsApp as a, as a eventual zero. The numbers that we've seen so far suggest that maybe this actually could have been a good acquisition.
0: Yeah, I remember looking back at uh, some conference calls that Facebook management did, uh, it was probably a couple of years ago, and they outlined their philosophy when it came to monetizing platforms. And it's basically like, create a really great user experience, create spaces for businesses to hop online, create organic interaction between users and businesses, and then layer in monetizable activity. Um, And I think for a long time, people have kind of wondered with the messaging apps, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp in particular, like, when does this start to materialize into actual money for the business? Because there was a pretty hefty price tag uh, tied to that WhatsApp acquisition. I think it was about a $22 $22 billion acquisition, if I remember correctly, um, makes the Oculus acquisition seem cheap, uh, and they acquired a lot of users with that, particularly in a global sense. You know, WhatsApp is massive, especially outside the United States. But, but how do you justify that price tag? And I think, Brian, the, the marketplace approach, the e-commerce approach, makes a ton of sense if you have a really big installed base of users.
1: It really does. And they are noting that they're having success with, with advertisers. They have more than 3 million advertisers that are using WhatsApp uh, click-to-message. Uh, they're, um, they're bringing payments uh, to it, it, which is now live in India. And India is a huge market uh, for, for WhatsApp. I mean, the ultimate case here would be that WhatsApp becomes like the WeChat of India or or the rest of the uh, the world, I wouldn't count Facebook out from doing that, so that is a big uh, potential upside that this company has embedded in it
0: yeah I, I think it would be easy to discount them as messaging apps, but we talk so much about what optionality can create for businesses. And when you have an installed base of, I, I forget exactly what the number is for, for what's A lot, I think it's, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, 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 it's either in the hundreds of millions or, or it might even be in the, in the billions. Um, it might be over a billion, I think, at this point. Um, but when you have that and you have people that are engaged with an app, with a product all the time, you can say you know what we're we're going to see if we can layer payment functionality into this we're going to see if we can give businesses the ability to stand a shop up and that's where it goes from being a messaging app to being something so much more it kind of becomes the operating system really for how you engage you know with commerce and socially they certainly have the potential for that brian because they have the critical mass of
1: users you got it. So that will be some. That will be a story to watch moving forward. But uh, there's no doubt that this report was just just fantastic. While the company doesn't give exact guidance, they did note that they say they expect revenue in the second quarter to be stable or modestly accelerate over the growth rate in the first quarter. AKA, it looks like the company is saying, we're going to report 50% revenue growth uh, next quarter. Now, in the third and fourth quarter, they're going to be going up against some tougher, tougher comps, uh, as well as the new launch of iOS 14.5 is going to be kicking in, as well as some other regulatory and platform changes. So They're calling for more, much more modest growth in the back half of the year. But when it comes to just looking at this earnings report, fantastic.
0: Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the numbers the numbers look great and we're starting to see Facebook flirt with that 1 trillion market cap figure, Brian. We might have a new entrant to that club pretty soon if the numbers stay strong.
1: Getting close and I would not <laughs> count the company out from getting there.
0: Yeah. They have a little bit of a ways to go to catch up to our next company though, and that's that's Amazon, one that I'm sure a lot of fools own. Um this is you know I think one of those earnings reports I look at, Brian, and I say I don't understand how a company this big can put up these numbers. It it defies the way that my brain works, honestly. Um, we saw 44% top-line growth to over $108 billion this quarter. For a company that has been around this long, operating in a lot of the markets that they have been for this long, uh, it just shows how strong the tailwinds are. and It's so easy for us to forget how little. E commerce penetration actually is in the grand scheme of
1: retail. When you see these growth numbers, it really highlights that. That is an enormous number. Both of those numbers. First, 44% revenue growth, and then an $108 billion quarter. Quarter. $108 billion quarter. Incredible. And uh, you know, this company has, has long trailed a company like Walmart in just terms of uh, quarterly sales, but wow, is it rapidly catching up? Walmart is still the king of quarterly reports uh, in terms of pure, pure revenue. Last quarter, Walmart reported 152 million, but Amazon at 108, with that growth rate, they're catching up fast. And the further you go down the income
0: statement, the more impressive the growth rates get because operating income more than doubled year-over-year year to just under $9 billion for the quarter and net income more than tripled year-over-year year, uh, to $8 billion. A lot of that is not necessarily the e-commerce operations that they have, though, of course, we know that the ecosystem for them is so important. They now have over 200 million paid Prime members globally. Um, but really, I mean, the, the story here is... The maturation and the continued growth of this cash cow business for them a w s and and I want to highlight um, this quote from Jeff Bezos uh, around the earnings results. Two of our kids are now ten and fifteen years old, and after years of being nurtured they 're growing up fast and coming into their own and those two children he 's talking about uh, we have a w s and prime video, I think Two things that it's it's been hard to read anything about Amazon in the last couple of years and not hear aWS get invoked. This is their cloud infrastructure business and it's become a fifty four billion annual sales run rate business, Brian, in just fifteen years um, thirteen billion in revenue for the quarter, which was up thirty two percent. Um, they have dominated the cloud infrastructure space. There are other players coming into this market and I think starting to eat away a little bit of their market share. But this is one of those incredibly high-margin businesses for them, and there are just so many tailwinds pushing it forward.
1: It would be fascinating for me to see How big would Amazon Web Services be if it was spun out into its own business? I mean, you're talking about a company with a $54 billion annual run rate growing at 32% with high margins. What kind of price to sales would the market (laughs) put on that? I mean, it's not inconceivable that that business alone would be a trillion dollars.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's helpful to look back at Amazon before this. You know, I think Bezos got a little sentimental there and and, and talked about you know the the fifteen year maturation process for this business. But but if you go back to the mid aughts, um, a pre AWS Amazon, so you had a company that had gross margins in the low twenty percent, operating margins in the low single digits and you basically, Brian, had an online retailer. I mean, by by, by all accounts and, and by looking at the books, you had an e-commerce business that looked an awful lot like conventional retail, low margin, um, some interesting growth because of uh, the e-commerce approach, but ultimately not, not the most compelling business in, in a lot of ways aside from the growth story. You go to today, Amazon has 40% gross margins, so just under double, and 7% operating margins. It is a much more interesting business because of that. And to get there, we talk about this all the time, but I think businesses in transition can be ugly. We talk about it a lot with the transition from being a traditional software provider to being a SaaS provider, but I think you look at the books for Amazon and it's another good illustration of this. Um, It would be easy to think, Brian, that everything was up and to the right with Amazon and AWS, not the case. Um, They had to endure lower operating margins from 2011 to 2017, even though their gross margins were climbing that entire period and the reason for that was their R&D spend continued to go up as a percentage of revenue basically doubled from 2010 to 2014 and so that translated into inconsistent income they wound up posting losses some year and now i think we can look at it in 2021 and say 100% the right the right decision because if you look at the operating income AWS is half of the pie for this company
1: Amazon, over the last 10 years, to me, is the ultimate example of when, if you just look at the P-E ratio, you can miss so much about the story here. Everything that you just, shed, just said just shows that Amazon was purposely keeping its profits extremely low because it was reinvesting like crazy into AWS, into Prime, and into with other ventures. Uh, as a result, its net income was nil for, for basically 10 or 15 years. And all along the way, Amazon stock was going up. So it was very easy for anybody to say the PE ratio here is just insane. It makes no sense to pay 100, 200, 300 times earnings for a stock like this. But that's when it's so important to dig into the details and look at things like the gross margin, look at where they're putting their investments and have the vision to see, yes, margins are low right now. Where could they be in a couple of years? Amazon is a great example of that.
0: Yep. And it's and it's that classic, you have to pair what you're seeing with the numbers with what management is saying about where they're putting money and decide for yourself whether those things make sense. Because just look at the numbers, you'd be like, what is going on with this business? Like, why are they shoving all this money into things? Like all their, you know, all their core metrics are suffering because of it. Um, and they went out and found probably like one of the most important tailwinds they could um over the last five years and crucially just gave themselves a cash cow. I mean, for a segment like this that is so much smaller than their e-commerce operations to contribute so much to their operating income. It's incredibly helpful. It gives them all this cash that they can invest into other parts of the business. Yes, R&D was probably
1: a really big cost line item for them uh, in scaling this business up, but it was 100% worth it. It totally was. And what's even more equally impressive is not only do they just report fantastic numbers they expect to continue reporting uh, fantastic numbers. Uh, for the quarter ahead, the company is guiding for revenue growth of between 24% and 30%. It's possible the company could be sandbagging yet again uh, there. And This is a company that is currently trading at an all-time high and closing in on $2 trillion. When you dig through the numbers, it deserves it. It's easy to understand
0: why, and I, I I did a little bit of a look back. This was this was a, an episode where I decided it would be helpful to have historical context, both with AWS, but also with the valuation and the growth rates that we're seeing from the likes of Facebook and Amazon. And you go back to like the mid '90s when tech wasn't as dominant in the S and P 500. Um, companies like General Electric were generally the largest components of the S and P 500. They were not growing at twenty-four to thirty percent year over year. Uh, in a lot of cases, they were in like the the mid-teens, uh, sometimes the high teens, and, and sometimes down in the single digits. And I think what is so hard about these businesses, and we, we're not even talking about Apple, but I think they posted fifty-plus percent year over year growth as a nearly two trillion-dollar company. Um, you have businesses that are historically big, posting historically impressive growth. And it kind of throws out the window the idea that this company is too big to put up good shareholder returns going
1: forward. And, and as we said, pick any pick any tight, tech titan we just talked about. The numbers that they are put put posting is crazy, crazy good. It is completely understandable why these companies have been have gotten so big and why they continue to trade at premiums to the overall market. They are very. Very high quality businesses that continue to grow despite their gargantuan size.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there are going to be some folks out there that look out for the rest of 2021 and say, "What you know? What does an Amazon without Jeff Bezos look like? You know, uh, is Amazon's uh, Web Services CEO Andy Jassy is going to be taking over? Um, I don't think you have to look too far in this conversation. Uh, we just mentioned Apple to see that there can be very successful transitions from the visionary leader to another player that has a demonstrated track record and reward shareholders along the way. I mean, Apple's been a fantastic investment during the Tim Cook era. Um, There are are so many things to continue to like about Amazon as an investment, even if Bezos isn't at the helm as CEO and is more in that executive chairman role that they've outlined.
1: That, to me, is a transition that is easy to swallow. Yes, he's not the CEO anymore, but it's still, he's still involved in all of the big time decisions. And I love that he, uh, at Amazon, they promoted from within. Uh, Apple did the same thing promoting from within. Satya Nadella promoted from within, taking somebody that knows the culture and just drives us to the next phase of growth. So, uh, Amazon is one of my biggest holdings. I have zero issues with Jeff Bezos not being the CEO anymore. All right,
0: Brian, from the mega caps of tech to possibly a future mega cap of tech, the, the final stock that we're going to be doing an earnings breakdown is Shopify, one near and dear to a lot of fool's hearts. Not a small company by any stretch, I think it's about $150 billion business, but a long way from the $2.2 trillion for Apple, the nearly $2 trillion for Amazon, and the nearly $1 trillion for Facebook.
1: We're going from gargantuan tech (laughs) to what used to be called gargantuan tech. Yeah, this is a $150 billion business, Shopify. And as great as the two reports that we just talked about were, uh, this one takes the cake, no doubt. Everything in Shopify's report looked great. Gross merchandising volume, aka the number of the total volume that flowed through Shopify's platform, grew 114% to 37 billion. Gross payment volume through Shopify's platform grew 137% to 17.3 billion. Revenue here grew 110% to 989 million. By comparison, Wall Street was looking for $865 million, so a substantial beat on the top line. When you dig into that a little bit more, see that subscription revenue was up 71%. Those are those recurring payments that its customers make to it just to be on the platform. But merchant solutions revenue, which are like one-time optional payments based on uh, volume, that was up 137% to $668 million. Top line looked fantastic.
0: Those are some darn impressive growth rates. And it's hard to know which one to be more excited about, the GMV or the GPV, because those are two you know, very, very interesting business lines for them to be in. And we talk about it a lot. We, we just talked about it with, with Facebook. But the idea of... Uh, E-commerce, digital payments, it's, it's a really compelling thesis. We've seen so many companies do really well in that space. And I've loved everything that I've seen from Shopify so far on the fintech investments. I only expect that part of their business to become more and more important as the years come along.
1: Totally, and Shopify is clearly killing it on on that front. The good news there though is the rest of the income statement looked equally as impressive. Uh, gross margin was up two hundred basis points to fifty six point six percent Adjusted net income was two hundred and fifty four million dollars or two dollars and one cents per share. That was up more than tenfold over the prior year, and Wall Street was looking for just seventy three cents so a massive beat. One side note that I thought funny was that if you look on a gap basis, Shopify's gap net income during the quarter was 1.26 billion. As a reminder, the company's revenue was 989 million. So it reported more gap net income than it did revenue. The reason for that is the company reported a $1.3 billion unrealized gain on its equity investment that it made in a firm. But man, those numbers look great. And that's why it's
0: helpful to read the context, Brian, right? Because a year out from now, someone's going to be looking at the bottom line for Shopify and say, what happened? You know, like, why, why were they like flat year over year? Why were they down year over year? Um, and that's where you see, yeah, that, that these one-time things can kind of play a role and, and, and wind up messing with the numbers a little bit. That's why it's always helpful to do a little bit of digging. Um, and that's why we only put so much so much into these year-over-year comps because we always have to make sure that uh, we're looking at things on an apples-to-apples basis.
1: You got it. Now, on the call, uh, Shopify uh, called out a number of things that I think investors should be uh, excited about. First and foremost, they are investing heavily into their Shopify fulfillment network, which is again kind of becoming like an Amazon like storage facility that handles all of the pain in the butt things about running uh, a shop. They also launched a new in app buy button for their mobile shopping assistant uh, shop, which now has over 107 million registered users, 24 million of which use the product. Uh, uh, every, every month. Shopify also released a documentary. I was unaware of this called Own the Room, uh, which was produced in part with National Geographic. That actually premiered on Disney Plus and highlights a couple of its merchants that are having a uh, particular success. And to the uh, point about the fintech success, Shopify Capital—that's uh, its uh, lending arm—grew uh, its lending by ninety percent to three hundred and nine million dollars. It also launched some new uh, card readers and an all-new point of sale service in the UK. And its partnership network, its ecosystem, uh, ecosystem network of partners uh, that refer business to Shopify, that grew seventy-three percent to more than forty-five thousand. Pick a number. Sounds great.
0: It all looks good. yeah, there are a couple things that I want to drill into on that. I think the the capital thing is particularly interesting to me because when i when I hear Shopify getting deeper and deeper into fintech, it's one of those it just makes sense kind of things uh, in the same way that Square getting more involved in uh, providing capital to businesses make sense. They have an incredible lens into payment activity and the financials for customers on their platform. Why wouldn't they try to leverage that to make life easier for those businesses and create new business segments for themselves?
1: It just makes complete sense, as what you said. As you mentioned, they have the data. They know how their merchants are doing. They can automate a lot of those decisions. and A lot of the loans are very short-term in nature, sometimes to meet payroll or to, to fulfill um, inventory needs. So They're pretty low-risk loans, but I love the optionality that Shopify has where it's willing to invest in these businesses and if they hit they can grow and they could become substantial contributors down the road.
0: Yeah, the the other thing I wanted to hit on Brian is that those registered users that you pointed out. And and I think we typically tend to think of Shopify, at least you know, the last couple of years, it's been more of something that is behind the scenes. And if you look quickly at the URL with some businesses, you might see that it's powered by Shopify or some of the site elements might tip you off that they're powered by Shopify. But I don't think there's a lot of consumer awareness around Shopify right now. I've kind of thought for a while that there might be something there for them. And it seems like they're exploring that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, they're really making investments into that app and uh, apps are a natural extension because that's where consumers can go to find businesses that they might not uh, find elsewhere. Again, this isn't like Amazon where Amazon.com is your destination and third party sellers fulfill it. You are going mostly to that third party seller directly. So it's up to that third party seller to d- direct traffic and do all their marketing. Uh, Shopify, Shop app could help to uh, facilitate some of that and leverage their brand name, uh, which is definitely growing and important. So I like that they're making investments there.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting space. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of businesses very successfully push demand within ecosystems that they create or find ways to monetize demand, um, whether it be through ads, being through placements, partnerships, all that kind of stuff. And so it is just another interesting lever for them to pull at some point if they're able to build a critical mass of users, um, because then that becomes a really interesting audience for all of the businesses that they help.
1: You got it. If you like optionality, Shopify has that in spades and has for a long time. Now, when it comes to guidance, uh, management is expecting, quote unquote, rapid revenue growth in 2021, but at a lower rate than 2020. I think that's completely fair. Yes, there was probably a lot of new accounts that were pulled forward into 2020 that would have come in 2021. Same thing we've seen with companies like Netflix, for example, where demand just simply got uh, pulled forward. But the company still plans on growing its top line at a pretty uh, a pretty high level and, and signing on a record number of merchants, except for 2020, except when compared to 2020. So it, it will report the second best uh, new merchants uh, in 2020. 21 all of that means that this company still has a very bright future ahead but temporary enthusiasm for these triple digit rates to come back down to earth
0: yeah I think that's fair and <laughs> you know when, when I look at all this it's you know hundred billion dollar businesses generally aren't growing it at- Triple digit top line, right? I mean, that's just not the way that the industry tends to work. We have to adjust our expectations a little bit for whatever happens after we move to more of a normal uh, re- return to life. But yeah, there's a lot to like here with Shopify, a lot of optionality for them to explore. I'm really excited to continue to hold this business in my portfolio. Um and and I you could really say the same for any of the companies we talked about, Brian. Really strong results. Um I think the the benefits of digital businesses have just been on full display for like the last 12 plus months. All these companies play into that and they still have so many so many things pushing them forward.
1: Yeah. This uh, as we said at the top of the show, this was a most, this quarter and next quarter are going to be the really most interesting ones from a year-over-year comparison. Where the rubber is really going to hit the road is going to be in Q3 and Q4 when they're lapping. Many of those easy comps and a lot of their demand that was pulled forward will really start to shine uh, shine through and will drop their growth rates significantly. Those will be the reports that matter the most. But for now, it's really fun to look at these reports and just say, Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And I and I think for folks listening trying to take this in and understand, you know, the actionable elements of this, I, I think all of these remain, you know, good, solid businesses. We're seeing great financials come out from them. Um, the key there, I think the operative element of this, Brian, is Expect some weirdness at some point in the next couple quarters. Like, there has to be that moderation moment with these just because the growth has been so incredible for such a long time. Um, That's a part of the multi year thesis, though, right? Like, all of the things that we like about these companies are going to continue to play out. There's no reason for us not to think they're going to play out over the next three, five, 10 years, but we might see some funkiness quarter to quarter, particularly as we get into the latter parts of 2021.
1: Expectations are everything, so just temper yours if you are a holder of these businesses like I am. I own all three, and as you said, no plans to sell any of them. No plans to sell. That could also be our tagline, Brian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thanks so much for hopping on today's show.
1: Anytime, Dylan. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. Listeners, hope you have a good weekend. That's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MF Industry focus. you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on!